If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> everybody. Hi and welcome to Reminiscing with Gene DiNapoli. Today is Monday, January 25th and it's so good to be here with everybody today. Uh, today is our uh, 21st episode. I can't believe we've done this 21 weeks uh, and we have had such great success and such wonderful comments about this uh, that we're going to continue for at least another 21 so happy to be here with everybody. Uh, welcome. And once again, uh, want to let you know that tonight we are doing the show via spaceship, which is why I have this ridiculous looking headpiece on because my speakers on my computer are not working. So we decided to go with the, uh, the Madonna mic and the pilot mic. <laughs> Good to see everybody here. Hi. Hey, everybody. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, before we get into our show and our sponsor, uh, we may want to make mention and dedicate tonight's show to the ultimate interviewer who has left us, Mr. Larry King. Uh, Larry was a great newscaster, which went into the interview sector and did more celebrity interviews than anybody in history. So we want to send this out. Uh, the show out and the well wishes to Mr. Larry King and his entire family. 
So we want to get that out of the way. We're being seen in Ireland, Australia, Portugal. We we have look we have people all over the world. It's so wonderful. Let's talk about our sponsor for the week. Uh, we did something new in January. We decided to talk about one sponsor per week, but all our sponsors are on our Reminiscing with Gene DiNapoli page. You go there, you go under the tab Offers, and you see all the deals that our sponsors give you. And this week, because we're only a few weeks away from Valentine's Day, we wanted to tell you about a wonderful alternative to going out to dinner if you can't because of where you live. If you want to send your loved one a beautiful Valentine's gift, Make sure you call Anthony's Gift Baskets and order one of their lover's gifts. It's a wonderful package, and we need you to call 914-944-1524. That's 914-944-1524. And tell them that Cousin Elvis, which is what my family calls me, Cousin Elvis told you to call and get the lover's package basket. Thank you, Anthony. So, uh, I got to tell you what the word professional is. Uh, professional is somebody that gets paid to do a job. But professional also is the way somebody conducts themselves. And our guest tonight uh, stepped into this show in a matter of days because the guest we had booked had a scheduling conflict and I reached out to this young lady and before I could get the words out she said to me I'm there if you need me so to me she is a consummate professional now she's had a a, a career I can't even begin to tell you how many things this lovely lady has done. Let, let's just start it off. Beauty pageant winner. Professional cheerleader. Model. Actress. TV star. And author. You could see to my right a picture of her a few years ago. And when you see this woman on camera, you're going to think that this picture was taken yesterday. So ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome my guest tonight to cap off Elvis month here at Reminiscing with Gene DiNapoli, the very lovely hee-haw honey and Elvis's former girlfriend, Miss Diana Goodman. Ladies and gentlemen, let's bring Diana in. Come on. Hi, Diana. I'm blushing with that sweet introduction. Oh uh, you know, I'm a New York Italian, so I know how to throw it on. You do. Yeah, but, but Diana, you should blush if it wasn't true. I have 11 pages of your accomplishments. I, I've never seen so many different facets of one person's career. And that's what we're going to do tonight. You know, we know, we know by this picture that you were one of Elvis's girlfriends. But that's only a snippet of what we're going to talk about tonight. I want our viewers to get to know Diana Goodman other than Elvis. So uh, why don't you take us back to when you were born in Atlanta, Georgia, 
and tell us when you decided you wanted to join pageants. Was this something you did at an early age? Um, actually, I was born in Alma, Georgia, and that's a little south, about, uh, I guess, a couple of hundred miles south. But then we moved to a little town called Forest Park, which is near the Atlanta airport. And I went to elementary school there, and they were going to have a pageant for like fifth and sixth graders. And I decided that um, I would enter and scared to death. I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell my parents. I just told them I was going to go to this pageant with my friend. And I borrowed a dress and too big. And but I was compelled at that moment to be on stage. And it was horrible. I almost threw up. I was so scared. <laughs> no training for this kind of thing. But I think it was then there was this kind of weird um, after all the nerves when it was over, I was so excited and, and um, proud of myself that I had made it across the stage, didn't fall on my face, didn't win. But when I got home that night, I told my parents I'd been in a pageant and they were like, what? They felt horrible, <laughs> you know, but it, after that, it was just um, every year and at the school pageant. And then as I got older, there were more pageants around and I wanted to do theater. So I thought maybe this would be a type of stepping stone, you know, like maybe somebody will discover you when you're walking across that stage in a pageant. Mm -hmm. So, cause there are some opportunities for um, travel and being in the company of uh, people who produce shows and things like that. So, you know, that was kind of the path I thought I might take. So that was that was your initial reason for getting into the pageant. Uh, well, at, at that moment, I didn't know. I just thought I want to do this. I want to be on this stage. And of course, I um, was very athletically involved. I played girl softball, and I was a cheerleader. And so everything it was kind of like put you on a little stage so that you could perform of sorts. You know, when you strike out or hit a home run. Right. At least have the opportunity. Right. So I don't know if you could see on the screen, but we picked some pictures along with what you sent us. So uh, when a picture comes up, if you could tell us a little bit about it. Anthony, put up picture number one. Now, was this your first pageant win? Um, actually, that is, I was the homecoming queen my senior year in high school. And that's what that picture's from. So you entered a you entered a, ta a pageant, and you didn't win, but yet you became the homecoming queen of your high school. Yeah, I entered the high school pageant four times, four years in a row, and I made the top ten finalist, but I never won the pageant. My friends, I was the bridesmaid of pageants. I would help my friends do their hair and makeup to get ready for it, and they would win, and I'd be like, you know, they also ran. Wow. But then um, the homecoming queen was pretty special because your student body voted for you. And um, so I was really excited for that. Now, at that time, um, of course, you're, you're dating. You're a young lady. Did you date the quarterback of the football team? Actually, um, I guess I dated one of the linemen. Mm. <laughs> Somebody else already had the quarterback sewed up. <laughs> Wow. 
That's great. Now we got a picture, Anthony. Picture number two. This is a pageant picture, uh, but this is—is is this when you were Miss Georgia? That was a few years after I was Miss Georgia. That um, I was in a play or a, a musical in Atlantic City, New Jersey, mm -hmm. when they first opened the casino there. Sure. They had Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At family-type shows, they had a lot of tour bus groups coming in. And um, in order to be cast in the play, you had to have been a former pageant winner. So all of these girls have won a different pageant in a state, um, except the one on the left end. And she was kind of like the um, ugly duck. She blossoms during the play. And so that actually was in 1980. And the producers, wow. the producers wow. of that show were, um, one of them was Bernie Wayne, and he wrote <laughs> Blue Velvet, and There She Is, Miss America. So he wrote this production and another man named Bob Parkinson. And um, so I was in that play for six months in Atlantic City, and then we went to Miami for two months, and then um, Puerto Rico, I mean, Puerto Vallarta. And um, so that was fun. Wow. So that wasn't even in your, your first career. That was like something later on. Yeah, that was 1980, and that was the first, like, really good paying gig that I had gotten that was in show business um, since I had started out. And, you know, I really got serious about it in 75. When I won the Miss Georgia, I thought, okay, this is my, this is my moment. This is, if I'm ever going to do anything, this is, you know, this is my stepping stone here. So and, when you became... <laughs> An Atlantic, uh, Fal Atlanta Falcon cheerleader, in in the nineteen sixty nine, you didn't think this was the path yet. Well, I felt like that was gonna that was the, a national stage, but the cheerleaders then were not like the Dallas cheerleaders became. We didn't get the kind of publicity and um, notoriety that eventually came, but I always hoped. You know, I met a lot of people, and um, I think I wrote on my uh, Facebook the other day, I actually worked for the Atlanta Braves in between as an usherette, and I was there when Hank Aaron hit his 600 and 715 home run. Right, right. I read that. So you know what? Let's also dedicate tonight's show to Hammer and Hank Aaron, uh, yeah. who, I, you know, I was in his company a few times in Atlantic City. Uh, my father was a very big gambler in Bally's and every hotel would have a, a sports figure as like a goodwill ambassador. And mm -hmm. we got very close to Willie Mays. Uh, who used to come, yeah. He used to come to my house in the Bronx for dinner and we were in Hank Aaron's company. And I got to tell you, uh, I was a sports fan. Yankees were my team. Greg Nettles was my eye because I was a third baseman. But when I was standing next to Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, I was speechless. 
I was really, yeah, I was speechless. And, and you don't know me very well, but for me to be speechless, it's got to be a godly thing. It's 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 something different. Well, I was so, playing a golf tournament in uh, San Francisco with um, Willie McCovey and Willie Mays, and that in their company as well. It's like being around Hank Aaron. It's just like legend. You just you want to just keep talking to them, and you know, getting their autograph is just not enough. You just want to, I don't know, hope some of their goodness rubs off on you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you know, you had you had kind of three careers. You had uh, your early career, uh, sixty nine to seventy two. You worked at Atlanta for the Falcons, and then you wound up on a TV show, which uh, I think everybody knew in the world. Uh, and what year did you start Hee Haw? 1981. Right. So let's talk before that. You did modeling, you did uh, Atlanta Falcons, and you did pageants. So, uh, <laughs> what? That was kind of my career path. <laughs> yeah. So, how many pageants have you won? Um, well, I was uh, Miss Dogwood Queen in Atlanta, I was the Miss Atlanta 500 when it was called the Atlanta 500, um, you know, the Atlanta Speedway, and Miss Road Atlanta, and I won a um, Miss Tobacco Spitting Contest up in, I mean, I didn't spit tobacco, but they had a pageant for <laughs> up in North Georgia, and um, that was probably my, my most unique. Uh, that sounds it. That, that Now you have all the trophies still and all your accolades? A few. Some get like lost and broken along the way. I moved from Georgia to California for a while, and uh, you always lose a little bit in the process. But um, I have lots of memorabilia still, lots of pictures, and uh, and all I needed. You, when I was in Atlantic City, you talked about each casino had a sports figure. Mm -hmm. Well, during one of our shows. Our producer came to me and said, there's a man in the audience I want you to call on stage and sing to. And it was Buzz Aldrin. So I guess he was their guy for the, I don't know, I forgot what he was doing there. But I got to meet him and sing Fly Me to the Moon on stage. I mean, it's like Buzz Aldrin and Elvis. I, they're just, uh, Hank Aaron, it's like you're just in these places and suddenly there's this person out of the blue that you didn't set out to know right. and you didn't know. And it's also Buzz Aldrin's, Aldrin's birthday this week. Yes. I believe he's 93, I believe. Is that it? He's doing so good too. I actually sent him an email asking if he would do this show. But, uh, It'd be great. Fingers, fingers crossed. Yeah. So, as you know, this show uh, is based around Elvis. So I want to go past Elvis because I think we should end on Elvis. And let's talk about uh, going to Hee Haw. Uh, now, we got some great pictures, but now Hee Haw, was that an audition or did you, did they call you? How did that work? I was um, in West Hollywood at a car repair shop and... Um, there was a man that was coming in and he was at a traffic light about to turn in. And 
you know, you're standing at a, a cross and um, it was like you, you talk to somebody because they're right there. And he said, hello, how are you? I said, oh, I'm good. I'm, you know, trying to get my car fixed, blah, blah. He said, oh, where are you from with that accent? And I told him, um, Atlanta, Georgia. He said, well, are you trying to get into like show business or something? Um, I said, yeah, along with about, I don't know, 50,000 other blondes out here. And he said, well, I, I, I know somebody that Mike could help you. And of course, you're thinking that's a lie, you know, but he said, here's my card and um, research it. If you feel comfortable calling me, then do that. And so um, I did. I made a few calls to some people I had met out there and I found out he was a very legitimate person. His name was Steve Bender. <laughs> I did not know who he was then because I didn't know Elvis in 68. But we met for dinner later and he told me the show he had in mind for me was called Hee Haw. He knew the producers and he said, I, I can get them to give you an interview, but that's all. I can't get you hired, but I can make the introduction. And so um, he gave me their numbers, a man named Sam Novello, who was the producer. And so um, I called Sam and he uh, said, yes, we've been expecting your call. And so he said, we're actually not hiring, but as a favor to Steve, we're going to let you come in and read some lines. And I thought, that's fine. Just let me come in. And um, so when I got there, there was um, several of the writers and the two men who started the show um, were there. And Sam Lavelle, like five or six men. And they said, there's two girls on the show who are having babies. And we don't know if they're going to come back to the show after they have their babies or not, because they're going to be first time moms. And it was Linda Thompson and um, Marianne Gordon Rogers. And so they gave me their lines because they had these particular characters they played mm -hmm. on the show. So I read both their lines and then I asked if I could read, I, fancied myself a comedy writer and I was actually taking classes and I belonged to a comedy group called the LA Connection. And so I said, can I read you some of my material? And they said, sure. So I did and they laughed and, um, you know, I said, you know, if you can't hire me as a cast member, maybe you can hire me as a writer or something. And so um, they said, thank you. Nice to meet you. We'll be in touch if we decide to hire somebody else. So I left a slightly dejected, but yet encouraged that I had a legitimate audition, you know, and um, felt like if they did ever need somebody and if the two girls didn't come back, maybe they would really call. So um, about a couple of weeks later, I got a message from, I had gone on another interview for a week. I don't know if you read that one in the book, with this one in Las Vegas that was supposed to be for a billboard and actually turned out to be a like this Iranian guy who was looking for some new wives. I was like, what? <laughs> no, until I got there. Um, anyway, when I got back to LA, I was listening to my answering machine and um, this voice said, this is Sam LaVillo with the Hayoff Show. We would like to talk to you again. We are considering hiring you and please don't bring an agent. I said, 
okay. So I went into the office the next day and they had a contract, a five-year contract with all the built-in money and all that. And, and um, Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at thirty thousand feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, here's, you know, here's the contract. Read it over and tell first thing. I didn't care what that thing said. I was going to sign away. I mean, I did scan it, but I was just, I mean, I had not had anything longer than nine months, you know, the one before that. Um, and then at the end of that one in Atlantic City, I come back to L.A. and I do singing telegrams. You know, I didn't want to get a job that you couldn't break away from, mm-hmm. you know, I had the flexibility. So I would go out in a gorilla suit and stuff like that in between jobs and, um, so anyway, to know that for five years, I was going to have more money than I had ever seen. And my dad said, you're going to make more money in a month than I made in a year. And I raised five <laughs> kids. Like, I know, it's so awesome. But so anyway, that and that's, that connection, the Steve Bender thing, and his Elvis connection that I didn't know anything about. And I don't think he knew me. He didn't let on. I'm sure he didn't follow everybody else dated but you know he didn't know who I was until we actually had dinner and I told him a little bit about my past and they always thought maybe it would help pique somebody's interest if they knew about the Elvis story but and then his story is so much bigger you know he actually produced the show that put Elvis back on the map I guess right we had Steve on our show two weeks ago I saw that. I was so blessed because he doesn't do these type of podcasts. And now, Diana, listen, I'm so appreciative. I'm not David Letterman. I'm not Johnny Carson. I'm not Joe Rogan, the guy with 20 minutes. I'm a little guy from the Bronx who's just doing this to bring some happiness to people that can't go out to eat right now. They can't go to the movies. So this is a great forum. And and yeah, what you know what makes my show different is that I'm not giving you 10 minutes, I'm giving you an hour. So people get to know you as the person, as well as the performer. Uh, so you go to Hee and you become one of the Hee honeys. Now, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't call you that these days. It wouldn't be allowed to call the, back, the girls the Hee honeys. But uh, <laughs> we got a picture here. Uh, Anthony, picture number seven, uh, put it up, and I want, okay, so uh, there you are at the top right. Yeah. Okay, so bypassing 
the two women in the front, which we know are Minnie Pearl and uh, I'm forgetting the other girl's name. Lulu Roman. Lulu Roman, right. It, the other girls uh, were all, they all pretty much went on to bigger and better things. Am I correct? Um, well, they were singers and performers right. before they ever got to Hee Haw. So they continued, you know, when the Hee Haw show stopped filming, these girls already had a musical career. Uh -huh. They could go ahead and, you know, Lulu has done amazing things. Ronnie Stoneman is the one on the far right. Right. Um, you know who's standing with me up on the wagon? No, I can't see that close. So who's that? The girl standing beside me is Linda Thompson. Yeah, we know. We know that. Uh, <laughs> and we know that. And so I got to bring this up to you. This was 1981? Uh-huh. Okay. Did you talk? Um, not at first. We, um, uh, we just kind of... <laughs> We just kind of didn't, I mean, I was introduced, you know, and um, one day in the dressing room, all the girls shared uh, one big giant dressing room. And one day I was in there and I looked around and Linda was in there and we were the only two. And it was almost like you had to say something. <laughs> and she broke ice and said, I remember you. And I said, you do? Uh, in what way? She goes, you dated Elvis. I said, I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I did. And she said, yeah, he, I was surprised he was attracted to you. You're not usually his type. And, but it's okay. And then after that, it was just like normal. It, that We got that out of the way. And then it was just normal. Okay, so what did, what did she mean by you're not his type? You're beautiful, you're, <laughs> you're blonde, which she was obviously blonde. And I know you're tall. Uh, how tall are you? Um, I was 5'8", but now right. I've shrunk a little. That happened well, I'm about 5'7 now. I knew you were tall because about a month ago I went to my friend's uncle's house for dinner who happens to be Ron Galella. Oh yeah. Yes. And your picture, <laughs> I, I got to tell you this, the picture had to be six feet tall <laughs> in Ron's house. And you're in the back of the limo with Elvis and you have a blue outfit on with a slit and you are all leg. You're all leg. So I said, this woman's got to be better than five, five. So you you were five eight. Linda was about five eight, mm -hmm. right? So where did she get her notion that you weren't his type? I'm not I'm not seeing that. Um. Well, without spelling it out too much, I think you know most of the girls were. She wasn't really blonde then. She was more brunette and okay. um. Um. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Uh. <laughs> he usually liked <laughs> can't even say it younger uh, girls no well that because yeah. I was already um, 24 you were 24 yeah and usually 
the girls that he met were younger and um, were, and this is not a judgment or anything, but there were the availability to um, turn over your life to him and your schedule because you hadn't started a schedule. You're not you're out of high school or you hadn't finished college. Mm -hmm. You have a career. Gotcha. And so I was already in, um, but she, he less curvaceous. I'll put it that way. He likes okay. curvaceous. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that That's a great way to put it. Uh, speaking of curvaceous, there's a picture here. Cheek as well. I mean, I think it was more like, she's got a great sense of humor and um, could be very dry with it. And I think it was, you know, more of a chance to break the ice and, um, because as you know, all the girls on the hee haw were wearing Victoria's Secret. Yes. Help. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you see the picture up that's now? That's my buddy, Ronnie Stoneman. Right. Yeah. So this picture should solidify that uh, women on hee haw were curvaceous. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, now, did she really uh, black out her teeth? She no, had a beautiful that's smile. The real space. That's the real thing. Yes, she that's she has an insert that she can put in to make her teeth um, look more, you know, like regular. I guess you right. say. But that space is the real deal. She did wow. not need to black out her teeth. Wow. And I, I know I, we are still such good friends. She came to my wedding, gave me a beautiful stained glass. Um, Hee haw donkey that was made. I forgot where she said she got it, but right. she was like, she outshined me at my wedding, I can tell you. Wow. It was so much I, fun. I find that odd to believe, but I'll let you say it anyway. We, we played, the skit we had was identical twins. Right. That's what the joke was, anyway. That That's a great and joke. They, they had to upplay me and they downplayed her. So, you know, because she's really cute, got the great figure and you know, extremely talented. Right. Uh, speaking of Yeehaw, you know, when people work on a TV show, there's one star. But you worked with two of the greatest pickers in history on the same show. Uh, mm -hmm. Anthony, put up picture uh, set eight and nine, please. If you could put them back to back. There's you and Buck Owens uh, yeah. in, the, in the cornfield. And then we got a great picture of you and Roy Clark uh, number nine, Anthony. And number nine. You don't have it. Okay. I didn't know. Okay. Sorry. That one. Yeah. There's another one right there. Okay. That's good. So uh, who's that with you and Roy right now? That is Lisa Todd. She was the hee-haw weather girl. Again, not too curvaceous, I could see. Oh, but she is. That outfit downplays her. Oh, are you being facetious? Yes, absolutely. Is <laughs> that girl? Yeah. That girl what? Very curvaceous. Yes. It's so very uh, intimidating. I'm telling you to walk into that cast. Yeah, that was um, and no, no judgment or offense. To Charlie's Angels, but I mean, this group of girls that was already in play just far uh, transcended the Charlie's Angels. I mean, 
And I got to walk in and be a part of a group of girls who had already established and set the standard of, uh, I don't know how the word I need to I can use, but it, it was so awesome that I just got to go in there and suddenly be a part of this group of women who were, I guess, worldwide, known worldwide. You know, he was pretty popular all over. Absolutely. Uh I would say uh, you girls were more popular than Dean Martin's uh, The Gold Diggers on his show <laughs> because you girls were able, not that they didn't have talent, they might have, but you girls were able to show your talent where the, the Gold Diggers were not. Uh, you girls were actually able to do comedy and uh -huh. sing. But my question was, did you, did you find Buck and Roy work together better as a team uh, than individually? Um, well, as far as, uh, showcasing their talents. No, I meant egos. What, the, what their no. egos with the two of them? No, they were. The only thing that they ever argued about was Roy had a penchant for being late. And Buck was a, the most prompt professional individual I may have ever known. He was just all business till you get on camera and then you do, you know, you play your role. And Roy was a little bit, no less professional, but sometimes he would be late. Mm. And so that's the only thing that they ever got crossways with. But um, they shared the camera. I really never saw any, uh, now the girls we would fight for time, you know, cause there were a lot of girls. So right. we were always like, I, I need some more lines. You know, I'm not yeah. getting on camera time or this and that. But it didn't. We were all friends. And, um, right. you know, a big, a, and as families do, you would have disagreements because right. you're almost living together for a month at a time when you're filming the show. Right. We were in the, hotel, the same hotel. We were, you know, it set at seven and worked till six, seven, eight at night. Mm. ate dinner together, you know, and at it again the same day, day after day after day for a month. And then you split up, go home or go do your, we were allowed to do other work as long as it didn't interfere with the contract we had with the Heehaw show. Right. And Heehaw sent me on a lot of um, gigs and appearances. The first two years especially, I went to a lot of different cities and promoted the show and played on a lot of golf tournaments and a lot of charity events, which was a blast. I met so many people right. doing that, you know, and um, that was fun. Uh, you mentioned that you did comedy writing. Did they ever give you the chance to input anything? Um, not really. You know, once they decided they were going to hire me as a character, right. you know, one of the girls, then no. And they had some very um, capable writers already. Back half the men on the show were also writers, mm. you know, but, um, they, you could make, you know, offer up a little, you knew what your skit was going to be. You could make a suggestion how to work and something like they weren't like closed off to hearing anything, but you're, when you hired for a role, then that's what your role is. Right. You know? gotcha. so. uh, we're going to put up a picture right now that I actually, I, I had to do close up because I thought, this was Bo Derek. Ah, you're so nice. And and so, 
was this for a certain uh, pictorial or a shoot? Or did you sit and get your hair done like that just for everyday use? I um, enjoyed um, being different. And so in 1980, when, when I got done with the musical, I wanted to get my hair done in cornrows. I just, I thought it was an awesome thing that Bo Derek had. I thought, well, maybe this will set me apart. You know, I'll be able to, because there's, I'm serious, but it feels like everybody looked alike, at least the girls that were trying to get a role in something. And so um, I drove around a 1950 Buick. Uh, I mean, I bought this huge, like a beaver coat. Drove, I just did things that kind of set me apart. And, um, Anyway, I just wanted, and so I found a lady in LA, and um, she did. I had 120 cornrows, and took about 12 hours. And um, that picture, I was in Houston, Texas. I think it was Houston to um, do an appearance for a boat company. I mean, you know, just going sun autograph. And we went to Gillies, and I had just fallen off the electric bull. That's why I'm sitting on those pillow things. And I had on spike heels and that spandex outfit riding the electric bull and it threw me off. And somebody got that picture. I can't remember where I got it, but that's what that was. 1980 again. That's a great shot. <laughs> that's a great shot. We have a few more things about your own career we're going to talk about, but I think it's time we got to the, the nitty gritty. 1975, you win the very popular Miss Georgia USA contest. And among your duties was to go around and do uh, other jobs, like you said. So you get sent to Memphis to do a copper tone ad, uh, which copper tone was on TV every day, every minute. Uh, mm -hmm. back then. Uh, did you get the job with copper tone? Were you the, were you the, the photo girl? Were you a commercial? What was it? It was just like a, a one-day appearance thing representing them at a, I think it was a um, convention type thing, I guess. Okay. Because, you know, I remember more about what happened after that than I do before. Yeah. Oh, so what did, what did happen after that, Diana? Anything, <laughs> anything important? Anything real? I didn't get the big thing with Coppertone. Like it was uh, Alita, but I didn't get the, the big job with them. So what happened in Memphis? Well, um, the next day, uh, I found myself with nothing. I had two appearances to make and one day in between. And so the day in between, I was going to do what any girl does, go to the mall. I mean, if you're, if you're in a city, I'd never been there before, and I didn't know anybody there. And so I really had nothing to do, you know, that – so I called a cab and uh, he picks me up and on the way, you know, you're chatting about why you're there, blah, blah, tell them. He said, so you don't know that Elvis lives here. And I said, I don't recall. I mean, you know, you probably heard Memphis, Tennessee, but you're not thinking that when you're going there. And um, he said, we're going to pass this house and I'll point it out to you. So he pulls off the road in front of the gate and he said this is where Elvis lives 
would you like to get out and you know take a look and i'm like i guess but you know just stand there and look inside the gate i wasn't sure what that was about and so um i was just standing there for a few minutes and the cabbie said um do you want me to go ahead and leave so your meter's not running and you can just walk the rest of the way to the mall i said i guess but I, and the hair, I'm in a, a denim skirt, kind of a straight and huge platform shoes <laughs> and a red, like a Western style shirt. And it was an outfit that the Miss USA pageant had given all the girls. And so I'm wearing that. I wasn't really prepared to walk anywhere. And it's July, I think, or June, I forget. So it's hot. So anyway, I told him, okay. <clears throat> so shortly after he leaves, I hear somebody saying, hey, hey. And of course, everybody's going to look over to where the voice is coming from. And this man on the inside of the gate motions for me to come over. So I walked over to him and he said, so what's your name? I told him and he said, do you live in Memphis? And I said, no, I live in um South Atlanta, Georgia. And he said, well, would you like to come in? And I said, well, I guess. Um, is Elvis here? He said, no, he's not home. And he said, I'm Vester, Elvis's uncle. I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm like, that's close. Pretty close to Elvis. And I said, sure. And he said, I'll open the gate just slightly. And you squeeze in because there are people out there that would try to get in if I open the gate all the way. I said, okay, so sure enough, he opened it. I scooted in and closed it really quick. And um, there I'm standing. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm in a hotel. And now I'm in Elvis's, the grounds of his home. And so then this golf cart, I could see it coming down from the house. And um, there's two guys in it. And they said, would you like to come up and see the house? <laughs> How do they know to come down? I, I mean, it's happening really fast, but in my mind, I'm going, how is this all happening? And uh, I said, I guess. I mean, I had no reason to be afraid or leery. I'm at Elvis's house, you know. So, And so I'm in the golf cart, and I said, is Elvis here? And they said, no, he's not home. And I found it strange that people were inviting me into his house, and he's not even there. Mm. But I just went along with it. So we got to the house and um, went through the back and they showed me all around the house. And um, then we got to this stairwell and I stopped as if I was going to go up and they said, oh no, we can't go up there. Elvis is taking a nap. And I went, oh my gosh, he's here. <laughs> and they said, we couldn't tell you that because, you know, you might be crazy. We don't know. <laughs> and, I said, okay, but at least I knew he was there. And um, then they said, well, do you want to go and sit in the jungle room, kind of hang out, visit? <clears throat> I said, yeah, fine. I mean, whatever. <clears throat> and so I went in there, and Lisa Marie was in there. She's riding a tricycle all around and, like, just queen of the mansion, you know, happy mm -hmm. little girl. And uh, just I still remember that face of that little girl so full of wonder and um, 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, life is tough. And, uh, but I'm glad I have that memory of her, you know, as a child. And, uh, so we just kind of hung out. People were in and out. Someone was always at the door wanting to say hi to Elvis and, you know, getting turned away. Not just like off the street, but, um, people that knew him that were in town for whatever and things like that. Mm. So it started to get later. And um, one of the bodyguards asked if I wanted him to take me back to my hotel because the shopping, you know, had passed and malls didn't stay open 24 seven like they do now or did before COVID happened anyway. (laughs) Um, So on the way to my hotel, he said, Elvis wants to know if you want to go to the movie. And I said, well, what did Elvis ask me, though, when I was there? He said, well, he he was upstairs taking a nap. So he told me to ask you. And I thought, how how did he know to ask me? How is all this happening? But I was just like, okay, I don't even care how it's happening. Yeah, I'll go to the movie. So, um, and then I thought, hmm, I wonder if it's just this guy wanting to go to the movies. But anyway, I figured it was harmless. And so he said, I'll pick you up at 11 o'clock tonight. And um, sure enough, at 11, he pulls in and, and picks me up and takes me back to Graceland, where we wait in the car. And then Elvis comes out the door in all his glory. I mean, he just, he came out his front door instead of, you know, most people go out their back door when they're going to go get in their car and all that. He came out the front and he just, he just like, steps into the outside he doesn't just go out it's like his presence just overwhelms the yard and i'm like oh gosh here he comes and he's walking straight to the car where i'm sitting and he stops at the window and he greets me and um i'm glad you could come and i had so many things i wanted to say i was just tongue-tied i, I couldn't even talk hardly just thank you thank you and then I expected him to get the car with us, and he did. He walked around the back, and he got in another car. And then there were a lot of people in both cars, and then more cars. And um, we all just left, and there was a caravan to the theater, which was the Memphian. And he, his car would pull up beside us, and he would look, lean over and look and wave and thought this is so awkward but okay i'll I'll go along with it and um so anyway we went to the movies and all night long three movies 
It was so much fun. And the next morning, he said, um, my uh, friend here is going to take you back to your hotel. I'm so glad you could come. And I went, is that it? You're not going to, like, <laughs> I don't know, breakfast, anything? And so I get in the car, and on the way back to my hotel, the bodyguard says, you want to stop for coffee? I said, I don't even drink coffee back then. And um, I didn't start drinking coffee till I got into show business. <laughs> but um, I said, sure. And he, while we were sitting at the table, he said, he pushed a piece of paper and a pen over to me. And he said, Elvis asked me to get your um, phone number and your address. He would like to call you to go out again. And I thought, that was kind of a weird day, but okay. And um, I gave him my number and my address. And I kept thinking, I wonder if it's really for Elvis. And why didn't he ask me when we were at the theater? He had every opportunity. And um, so then he dropped me at my hotel. And I thought, well, that's, you know, probably it. But went home. And um, sorry. Um, <laughs> Waited by the phone for a couple of weeks, I guess, and he didn't call. And so <clears throat> I went to LA to seek my fame and fortune. I mean, I'm still of, <clears throat> excuse me, of the mindset that I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to sign up for a job and I'm just going to start working on some TV show. You know, I just have this or naivety that it's going to be that easy. You get to LA and it's like gigantic. There's studios everywhere, agents every block, and it's very difficult. <clears throat> I mean, I'm in two weeks or three days, I start to find out it's not going to be as easy as I thought. <clears throat> so I think on the third day, I call my mom to ask, to tell her how things are going and check in and give her my phone number where I'd be staying while I was there. And so while we were talking, she said, you keep getting these prank phone calls. This guy keeps calling saying he's Elvis. And, uh, oh, there's my granddaughter's vanity in the background. <laughs> and um, I said, we thought, oh, we thought that was yours, Diana. <laughs> we thought that was yours. <laughs> it is. I have very little money. <laughs> I have uh, four granddaughters. God bless you. So when they come over, they all head for the vanity, except for the little bitty one. She's not quite there yet. But right. um, I said, Mama, that is Elvis. And she said, well, he's called like three times. And then my little sister gets on the phone. And she goes, yeah, we kept hanging up on him. We thought he was so. And she said something to him like, is your refrigerator running? You better catch it. Oh, you know, God. she was probably 10 or something. And I said, y'all, that was really Elvis. He, I told you he had our phone number, and, and they didn't believe me when I told them. They thought I was just kidding them, you know? And I said, would you take my phone number? And he probably won't ever call back, but if he does, please give him my number. And they said, well, if you're sure it's really him, I'm positive it's him. And so I'm telling you, within probably two minutes, the phone rings. And it's Joe Esposito, and he asked if Diana was there, and the housekeeper answered the phone, and she came and gave me the phone, and he said, Elvis wants to speak to you. I guess he wasn't going to get hung up on again. 
And so then there it was. It was actually Elvis talking to me, inviting me somewhere and not just a go-between, you know, or a beard as they used to call it. Yes. We, we call them up here in New York too, as well. Yeah, that's what I heard that saying. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we create a lot of sayings like this saying, uh, Elvis after the divorce gave great shows, but they weren't inspired. And two of his best shows, maybe of the latter years, but definitely of 1975 were in my hometown of New York at the Nassau Coliseum on July 19th, 1975. And uh, you were present for those. And to Elvis experts like me and Phil and Steve, we believe it's because you were there. And either you were making Elvis happy at that moment or he was trying to impress you. So whatever the reason, uh, we as New Yorkers want to thank you for being there. Uh, we're going to put up a couple of pictures. Uh, I'm so happy. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the second show came out on <laughs> audio many years ago. It's one of his best shows. He does a couple of songs that he never did anywhere else. Like he got at the piano. He played You'll Never Walk Alone. Never did that again. Never did a gospel medley again. So you were in L.A. and Elvis is coming to New York. Did you meet him in New York? Did you go on the full tour with him? What was the uh, situation? Um. <clears throat> Well, when he, he asked me, um, first he said, why did you go to L.A.? And I said, I'm trying to stick my name fortune, you know, and and um, you didn't call. He said, but I told you I would call, and I wasn't used to waiting, you know, a couple of weeks for somebody to call, and I figured it was just, you know, you know how people want to be nice and they just say stuff? And um, he said, well, no, I, I, I said I keep my word. I said I would call, and... And I would, I just didn't say when. And so he said, I would like for you to come to a show with me in New York. <clears throat> and I said, oh, okay, well, how are we gonna accomplish that? And he said, I'm gonna arrange a flight for you and I'll have my chauffeur pick you up and take you to the airport. And you'll meet me at, um, I don't even, uh, maybe it was Nassau, New York, or yeah, Nassau Coliseum. And he said, "I'll they'll bring you to to where we are." And I said, "Okay." He said, "Can you be ready in a couple of hours?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I can." And um, I thought, well, I got I was at the pool, by the way. I was outside, covered in baby oil and iodine. You know, that was the thing. <laughs> I didn't have the copper tongue with me. <laughs> um, so just as I get back in the water on the floaty. The housekeeper comes back out and says, phone. So I got out, took the phone again, and he said, I think that in trying to book the flight, I might you might have to be ready in an hour if that's okay. And I said, yeah, I, I could do it, you know, yes to whatever. And uh, he said, okay, you know, I'll have somebody pick you up. Hung up the phone. I started back into the house, and the phone rang again. And the housekeeper, by this time, she is a little Spanish lady, and didn't speak English, but she just, you could see her body language. She was tired of answering the phone, handed it to me. That she gave it to me and he said, can you be ready in 30 minutes? I'm like, oh my gosh, how ready do I need? I mean, yes, I will. I don't know. He goes, don't even pack. 
I'll get you whatever you need because I know this is awful to ask you to be ready this fast. I said, okay. So I just flew into my room. I threw everything I had in the suitcase. I was not going to fly all that way and go shopping. I, I just wanted every second with him. And I threw my hair and curlers and um, in 30 minutes, the doorbell rang and it was the chauffeur. I'm still in curlers. I've got this little peasant shirt and blue jeans and dragging probably everything I owned behind me and got in the limo and going through Beverly Hills with my hair and curlers and I'm on my way to an adventure <laughs> that, you know, I guess I've waited a lifetime to have. So we drove to the airport and there was the Learjet. Oh, he, on that third phone call, he said, I'm going to have to get my Learjet to bring you because there's no other flights that will leave in time. So he said, the, the jet is waiting for you. And so I got there and there's a pilot, a co-pilot and me, and they're flying me out to meet him for a day. Now, I didn't know how long, and I didn't know it was his show. I just thought, I didn't ask questions either. I just thought, we're gonna go somewhere. And you know, it could be the, another movie theater, who knew, but on the way, um, the pilot came back and he said, you know, we're not going to make it to the show because of the time change and the, you know, it's like a flower or flight or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he said, Elvis asked us to take you to the airport and put you on his other airplane. And I'm like, mm. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to see this man? I keep getting ready for this man. And I'm, it never happens. And um, I was just, I don't know, just um, wilted as well. You know, I thought, I think I fixed my hair 10 times. I kept putting on lip gloss, taking it off. You know, what do you do by yourself in five hours? You read the book 10 times, <laughs> and, um, eat five bags of peanuts or whatever. But sure enough, we pull up on the tarmac and the uh, Stanley boys, some of the other guys were there. They helped me off the plane, took all my luggage, and we just walked over to the other airplane, got back, got up on it. They put my stuff in there and they said, Elvis is gonna meet you here. You missed the show, and as soon as they're done, he's on his way back. I said, okay. So I went in, found a seat, you know, a table. It, it was like a, like a lounge in there, you know? And uh, I sat at the table and waited, and then I hear a lot of commotion, cars and sirens and, you know, lights and everything, and it's dark. <clears throat> and I look out the window, and I, I could see all this. I saw a limo pull up to the stairs, and then I just see a flash of a person go across the aisle into this curtained-off area that was um, yeah, directly across from the door. And I knew it was Elvis, but he didn't come back and sit with me. He went into that curtain off area. And I went, okay. So the pilots say, everybody, buckle your seatbelt. We're going to take off. <clears throat> so he took off. And then in a little while, he said, um, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to prepare for landing. And I'm still sitting there. And so then the curtain opened, 
and Elvis comes out and he's changed clothes, he's freshened up and um, he doesn't have on his show clothes anymore. And he, he looks down the aisle and he starts walking towards me. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to sit with me or, you know, how's this going to play out? And he, he came right to me and I'm sitting on the end and he steps over me and sits on the seat beside the window. <clears throat> and he says, immediately starts apologizing for the long flight alone, not making it to the show. And um, at that point I realized it was his show I was going to be going to with him. I would never been, I'd never seen Elvis in concert. And so the first time I would see his concert, I would be with him. And to know that I missed that opportunity, oh, it just killed me. I thought, oh my gosh. Well, I have a do-over. And then, um, you know, going to find out there would be show after show after show. So I would get to see a lot of shows and be almost right beside him. Not on the stage, but there was always a little side stage or a little rough-off area where I would sit and he he could see me. I could see him. We could, he would talk. Sometimes he would walk over and say something to me or he would toss me um, girls through all kind of stuff on the stage, you know. So if it was teddy bears, he would give it to me. And we, before um, the tour ended, we had a box full of stuffed animals and teddy bears and everything that he uh, saved to send home with me. And um, But that night, you know, we talked. We just talked the rest of the time. And then we landed, got into a limo, and that whole, that mad when we landed, there's people all everywhere outside, you know, watching for him. And it's probably 11 o'clock at night. I don't know. But people kept up with where he was coming or going. And um, it was always a rush. You, they were always kind of pushing you along and pushing you into a car or, you know, time was of the essence. Right. right. So. <clears throat> um, so you grew up in the South. And Elvis was a star in the 50s, 60s. He became a movie star. When you met him, he was going through a tumultuous period because he had just turned 40. And he gained a couple of pounds, still had the beautiful face, but his belly was a little big. So he was fighting the fat and 40 uh, moniker that people get. When you saw him in concert that night or the next day, and when he walked out, and 20,000 people went crazy. Did you say to yourself, this man can't be 40? It's got to be the 50s because nobody at 40 could could get this kind of adulation. Did anything register with you that night? I was, um, you know, when you say that, it kind of gives me chills thinking about it because I'm in that audience because I as soon as he's ready to go on stage, they would escort me to my seat. And um, I was, so I was sitting there when that music started and the strobe light thingy or the spotlight yeah. in the room. And I could see the women and the people, men too, kids, you know, the audience was full of people. And the noise, there's never been a football game with that kind of noise, I can tell you. And <laughs> on the indoors and when he walked out 
he could have been in a bad mood or had a headache or a rash from dry cleaner fluid, which happened. But when he got on that stage, there was nothing on his mind except entertaining and being the the man that he was, you know, the, the entertainer that he was. And um, I, I kept pinching myself going, oh, my gosh. I had seen his movies. You know, I saw Blue Hawaii. My aunt and uncles were big Elvis fans because they were all – my mom was only 15 years older than Elvis, so they all – grew up adoring Elvis and they gave me records and took me to movies. I was the oldest of the their nieces and nephews. So if they wanted to go to a movie, they could drag me along. And so I had seen him, but to be with his person and, um, and the cool thing is I knew the man somewhat, at least 30 hours, I guess, before I got to experience the performer. And I have to tell you, I mean, yeah, it was just blown away. I, I could not believe the energy and the stamina in his voice. I mean, he just, it never cracked. He could reach the highest notes, hold them the longest. It was just, it was incredible still. Uh, did, did you ask Elvis to sing anything special? At those shows, did he did did he ask you favorite song or something? Did he ever get that person or that way with you? He not to sing in a show, but he right. did sing a song to me. He did, in a show, and I didn't know it was coming. It was, um, and I somebody sent me a, a an audio clip of it, and he was singing. I got a woman way across town. She's good to me, and he changed the words. I got a woman way across Georgia. She's good to me. And I went, oh, he just said he's speaking to me. <laughs> and so I have that clip somewhere, and I'm sure Phil and everybody has it, but um, somebody was able to find it. And but the only time I ever, I tried not to be a fan, and they had put me through this whole, um, like, briefing before I went to the movie theater that night about – don't touch him. Don't like talk to him unless he's talking to you. Don't lunge. You know, just here I am. They just kind of picked me up from the gate. Not that I'm standing there to get picked up, but they brought a stranger into his home. And later I found out though, he told me that he saw me on the closed circuit camera at the gate and he told Vester to find out who I was. So I finally that night, you know, of the whole airplane thing and when we got back to the room and I asked him, how did you even know to know me or to want to know me? He goes, oh, I saw you on the camera when I was in my room that day. I went, oh my gosh, it all fits together now. And um, I'd say he, that first night when we got to the uh, hotel, he had a line of suites. I had my own room for my privacy to get dressed, whatever. He had a room and in between was kitchen, uh, reading room and all that. And so he was gonna order dinner because he hadn't eaten and neither had I. And so after dinner, he gave me this ring. That was the first um, gift. Can you put that closer to your camera, Diana, please? Oh, where is it? Oh, nah, maybe I have to find it. There it is, stop right there. Okay, ladies, especially Janet Farina, 
I want you to look at this ring. And this is something, Janet, you would have never seen if you weren't watching this podcast. That's beautiful. Is that black and white diamonds? It's um, blue sapphire and diamonds and gold. Wow. Beautiful. And he said that he had it designed for me. Um, and so <coughs> actually it was the, no, it was the first jewelry before that when we first got to uh, the room, he um, gave me lots of boxes of loungewear and, and things to sleep in and stuff like that, that I could wear in front of people. Right. He said, you, you don't know my life. <laughs> you don't, you don't know what to expect. And, I want to make sure you're comfortable and um, appropriately. And uh, so, but this was the first thing. And I was so impressed that it fit perfectly. He said he knew my size and, um, you know, he was, he was, I don't know. I, I'm sure people are thinking, ah, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he was so generous, so giving, so detailed and attentive. And maybe he was that way with everybody that was in his company, but that's okay. Cause at that point I was in his company and I wasn't like a movie star. I was just a simple girl and um, who had won a pageant. And um, I think he did like girls who had won pageants or maybe he, it was a way for him to meet somebody. He couldn't just right. go out to, you know, the single group at church or. Of course. And there was no Tinder or uh he was looking for a relationship he did tell me that he was he he liked relationships he may not have always been faithful to that relationship it was he liked to have one special person that he spent the most time with okay anyways we could see that and you know you know it's one thing to be generous with people you know or you're flirting or you're trying to woo but as we found out over time, Elvis was generous with complete strangers who he would never crisscross again. So that's a quality in a person, man or woman, that really resonates. And when people say to me, uh, why does Elvis live on and what do you think? Uh, it's because I believe Elvis was the people's entertainer. He resonated with people he knew, he didn't know, people he would never meet. And uh, I think that's why he's an enduring factor. Yeah, and there was a saying, um, always play to the little guy. You know, the one who might be the least important. Right. Because they, they're, everybody else is going to get on board. But, you know, mm-hmm. that might be the one who means the most to. Right. And he did, I mean, he never, he um, never complained about the fans or they could get aggressive. You know, I've. I would see after a show, his hands would have little uh, scratches where he would bleed, where, you know, they just wanted to shake his hand and they hung on too long or, um, oh, phone numbers, all manner of right. stuff went on. And I was like, what? Don't you know I'm here? <laughs> That's part of it. I mean, yeah. After that, I've seen, knowing a lot of other entertainers, it's kind of part of um, being attentive to your fans. They want to know you're approachable and that you notice them 
and you know, you know that you know they're there. They bought a ticket to see you. Absolutely. A couple of minutes ago, you said you got you got briefed uh, before you went to the theater not to touch him, not to approach him, and not to touch him. And this is one of my favorite pictures, and I put this on the banner. Anthony, put up picture number two, uh, limo two, because in this picture, you went against everybody's words and you grabbed the back of Elvis Presley's head, his hair, his prized hair, and you were caressing him. Do you remember that moment, Diana? I will never forget because <laughs> he asked me to do that. Did he really? Okay, so the briefing happened before the Memphian. Right. So after we he we were on the same plane and we were now a couple, all that went out the window. From then on, it was game on. It was, you know, Elvis was in charge and I was in charge. Well, we I don't know where we were going or coming. We were on our way to a concert there um, because he does not have on his show clothes. Right. And usually he didn't change after the show until we got back to the hotel. But anyway, the paparazzi were everywhere. And he told me they had already been asking who the girl was because <clears throat> they saw me get off the airplane with him <clears throat> on that, you know, the first flight. And he said, don't tell anybody your name. I want them to find out on their own, but put your arm around me and get close. And we're going to give the paparazzi what they want to see. And I said, you don't have to tell me twice. I'm on it. So I just put my arm around his head. I scooted up to him. And because um, I would never have been that um, assertive with him. I, I waited to let him make, you know, the first move on um, affection like that. I didn't want to seem to, I don't know, out of line or anything like that. I was trying to be, uh, find out what the vibe was, I guess. But he immediately, as soon as he got on the airplane that night, he took my hand and he held it, and he held my hand from then on. So I figured that it probably was okay left-handed. But I wouldn't just, like, grab him up in front of people. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know if he um, was into all that press. I mean, you know, he is as far as his work. But um, I didn't know how he felt about the bombardment of photographers and people like that. Right. And he said he he was uh, playing a cat and mouse. He loved it. He thought it was awesome. And I loved it myself. I, I right. thought it was awesome. And when I got home a few weeks later, when that first magazine hit the stand and my mom saw it, I think that's the first time she believed me and, you know, everybody in the town talking and the church and all that. <laughs> it was funny. But anyway, yes, he invited me to do that and I happily applied. That's great. Now, I got to ask you, uh, we're going to talk about your book in a minute, but do you sell or do you provide any pictures autographed of you with Elvis to any of the fans that would want to purchase them? Are they available? <laughs> Yeah, I have all copies of all those pictures, and yeah, well, that's the one I need. I need that one for my bedroom, for my for my Elvis room. I need that. You know, that's the favorite. That's the one people ask for the most. Is it really? Yeah, I was so happy. I was so happy. Well, I don't want it then. I want. What is your favorite? And that one probably is because it was. You know what? I think that was 
the first concert, because I remember the first concert, I wanted to wear the best thing that I brought. And it was that white, it was like a halter top with white, like mm -hmm. silk um, pants. Right. And that was the best outfit I had with me because I was coming from LA, you know, and well, when were we going to shop actually midnight that night as it all turned out. And so I thought I want to wear the best thing I have. And so I wore that and I, he had given me this ring the night before. So I had that on and I think he gave me a bracelet that, yeah, that night he gave me a present every single night. I mean, something wow. every single night. Wow. And I was just overwhelmed. I didn't give him anything. I didn't know what do you give him. I mean, other than time and your attention. And, um, we, we talked a lot and, um, eight and, you know, just, um, plans for, for not knowing each other really, really long. Um, we talked about plans a lot, you know, where we're going to go next. What do you want to, we're going to do. He wanted me to see him and be with him outside of work. Like it's house in LA, go to uh, Palm Springs, do things that were leisure. He had all, you know, um, told me all these plans and things like that. that right. Life happens and things change. But at that moment, mm -hmm. I, and I was thinking, okay, I want to do that. And then I'm thinking, hmm, how am I going to work? How, how am I going to fit all this in? Because when you go out with him, if you don't live in the same state, your date could be a couple of weeks. Mm. Or it could be you know, six months till you hear from him again. That was because uh, I still lived in Atlanta and he was in Memphis. Right. It was a little more difficult to. I'd say so. I'd say so. We got a fan from, uh, we got fans from Scotland looking in. Let me ask you, uh, Diana, off the top of your head, very quickly, favorite Elvis song? Can't Help Falling in Love. Favorite Elvis movie? Blue Hawaii. Male person that you worked with that most reminded you of Elvis Presley? Ronnie McDowell. Okay. Okay. I was going to say Burt Reynolds. Um, uh, he didn't remind me of Elvis. No? He had his own. Burt was, um, well, they both got swag. I mean, yeah. you know, they got this innate uh charisma that right. just comes naturally when you watch them walk or move or now as far as interacting with people um burt reynolds is right up there because he loved to his fans he loved to be with people and hang out and treated people really well he gave me my first um movie I had never been in a movie or television, and Burt Reynolds um, let me be an extra in Gator. And so he gave me my first job in a movie that I actually got paid for. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, we only got a few minutes left, but there are some important things I want to have spoken about. Um, Anthony, do you have the picture, uh, the wedding picture? Do you have that? Uh, I, I, I really... I saw your wedding picture and I think it's so beautiful that I want to show our viewers. Um, and do we have the wedding pic? Please tell me we got the wedding pic. 
I hope Anthony's still with us. <laughs> no, we don't have it. Okay, then you know what? Let's go to a very special picture, your family picture. You were talking about your grandchildren before. Uh, <laughs> you got four granddaughters, and I'm imagining the little baby there is the newest addition. Yeah, she's now a year old. That's the newest girl. And on the right side, they are expecting a little boy in April, so I'll have two grandsons now. Wow. So this is your grand, grand is this your son or your I have, daughters? I have three sons. You have three sons. My three sons. Yep. And two daughters in love. And um my middle son, I mean my youngest son is the one in the middle with the brave shirt. He's not married. Yeah. He's okay. still kicking his heels up. <laughs> okay. Okay. And uh, you know, we had Cynthia Pepper on uh last week. And yeah. she, she told this story about years later, her son called her up and said, Mom, uh, two questions. Uh, you had a thing with Elvis. And she said, yeah. And and he had blue eyes. He says, am I Elvis's son? And she said, no. Did your children, did your boys ever bring this up to you and ask? Yeah, they have, huh? My oldest son, who is on the left hand, he told his Sunday school teacher that he Elvis was almost his dad. <laughs> and then my um, one of my girlfriends that I went to church with, she told me um, not long after that, she said, my son came home and told me that Mrs. McDaniel dated somebody famous. And she said, really? Who, who did she date? And he said, I can't remember, but I think it was George Washington. Oh my God! <laughs> so yeah, that was about the same time frame. But that's wonderful. Let's talk about, you know, this is just to give everybody a taste. We got so many questions, Diana. But here's where we do what we do. We wanted you on the show because you have a lovely, wonderful book that you co-wrote, uh, which tells a lot of your stories. So can you give us a little uh, insight? on uh, Hollywood Lights, Nashville Nights. I can. And let me tell you, that picture yeah. and the one that says Bob Hope, that uh -huh. was made at Fort Hood, which where Elvis was stationed. Really? Yeah, I went out there last December um, a lady that lives out there organized a um, like an Elvis meet and greet, and she sure. invited me and Tish Hanley. Mm -hmm. And um, they took us to Fort Hood, and we actually had a book signing there. And um, so, anyway, um, in 2000, well, I guess about 2010 or so my friends a few of my friends knew about elvis not very many i pretty much was retired from everything when i had my first son and i just was mom and wife for all those years but the people that knew about elvis kept saying that i should write a book but it didn't feel like i had enough for a whole book you know and then between all the experiences that you have maybe i could you know have enough but um, my husband said well you should just start writing something you know just start writing it down and he encouraged me to do that 
And um, for about 10 years, I just wrote notes and didn't do anything about it. And then um, my friend Victoria Hallman, who was a co-writer, um, she said one day, she said, why don't we write our stories together? And that would make a full book. Because she has um, a great story about how she got to E-Hall. You know, she uh, performed for Bob Hope and um, then knew Buck Owens and was his backup singer. And uh, so I thought, yeah, that might work. And as it ended up, we had to take a lot out because it was getting too long. So we probably would have had enough on our own. But we came together and did it because E-Hall was our kind of common um uh, ground there right and um i started it i mean we got seriously started it um like in 2014 or something and then we kind of tabled it for a while and then um my husband died in 2007 february 2017 which will be gone four years in uh february right but i found myself a widow suddenly and I thought, I need to fill this time and um, do something that, you know, you start to look for a reason to get up every day. And when that part of you is gone and, um, you know, all the kids were grown up. And so we, um, Victoria and I, she lived in Nashville and I lived in Atlanta still. So we had an appointment every Monday night we would talk for hours and talk through the book and write and, um, you know, share memories and stuff like that. And so finally we turned, we found a publisher and, um, cause that was our desire was to not self publish if we didn't have to, because it's a lot, you know, more costly and everything. And so, um, and we finally got it turned in December, 2017, I believe. And, um, it was out i think may of 2018 it, it came out right and then after that we were just promoting you know kind of like doing the book tour right until covid and um we were really just on a roll when covid happened and then all our gigs and everything were canceled and um you know as far as personal appearances and things like that so we're going to do our part for you, Diana, to get that book uh, sold to people who know about it. So I got to ask you, if anybody... Live is the way to go now. People yeah. can, people that feel they don't want to get out or anything, they can, right. say, can watch. Now, we're going to promote it on our page starting tomorrow with the PayPal info. And if they mention, if they mention they saw you on my podcast, will you personally autograph it for them? Yes. Ladies and, gentlemen, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here on Reminiscing with Gene DiNapoli. Check out our page tomorrow. We're going to put a big post up promoting Hollywood Nights, uh, Lights, Nashville Nights by Diana Goodman. You write to her, send her the money, PayPal, however you do it. Send her your firstborn, send her whatever. Uh, just send it and she will sign it to you, Diana Thank you so much. You have been a lovely guest. You jumped right in. You jumped right in when I needed you. There was no talking to handlers or managers. I said, can you? And you were right there. So you have my undying gratitude. 
God bless you. God bless your husband who's still watching. God bless your family, the newborns. And ladies and gentlemen, as we do it every week, let's give our guest, Diana Goodman, the biggest round of applause we can. God bless you, Diana. Wow. Wow. Fabulous. Yes, everybody, please. We're gonna we're gonna put all the information on Facebook tomorrow. Check it out. Uh we could have her as a sponsor here, Anthony. My producer Anthony said maybe we could do a sponsor. Everybody that wants a book, make sure you mention our podcast. She'll sign it personally. And right now, we still got one other Elvis guest. That's on February the 8th. But that's not next week. Next week is February the 1st. We're going to have the great vocalist of the doo-wop group, the Flamingos, Mr. Terry Johnson, will be here. You remember songs like, I Only Have Eyes For You. Lovers never say goodbye and love walked in. Well, this man has kept the name the Flamingos going for 60 plus years. In, in my eyes, in my opinion, which I respect, two groups kept love songs in the doo-wop era. The Platters and the Flamingos. And we got Terry Johnson next week. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much once again. Check out all our episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to my channel. We're going to be doing other shows, interviewing different types of guests. So join our page. We've got a new Elvis page called the Elvis Connection, where I post Elvis tidbits and videos that you see nowhere else. Join my YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week, stay safe. Stay well, stay positive, and God bless you. Peace out. Thank you, Anthony. Take us out.